Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Tons going on in the world of sports. It is September the 17th, 2020. Gino Bacola here, your co-host on the Mike Abadir Show. And Mike, it's it's sort of pick your your uh, pick your poison time because we can we can talk about so many different things. But I will say we pride ourselves on being a show that discusses a bunch of different sports, you, you know, and even topics uh, over the last year or two. But when football season comes, that's really our bread and butter. We, you being someone who has worked in the NFL and around the NFL for so long, and just the the capacity with the, the the wagering now becoming more prevalent and more acceptable and accepted, and the fantasy and the daily fantasy, man, like a, a Sunday football day where you sit down in the morning and you get ready for a Sunday there's really very few it's it's like the march madness kind of you know first two days of the tournament there are few few days like that first sunday where you sit down and it's like overload yeah you know it's kind of like um having for horse players like a kentucky derby every week once a week yeah right and because it really brings a lot of people it's like a breeders cup it's maybe like a breeders cup or a breeders cup or something like that you get a bunch it's there's just the the amount going on Right. It's just there's so much. You got all the games. The the one real gripe that I, I have. Right. I'm, I'm so happy. I just wish they would. I know why they don't do it, because they want to have. I really wish we could bump two of the morning games back because it, it's just so hard sometimes to fo- to get a real look at, at all those games going on in the morning. And then and then they end and you're like, oh, there's three games in the afternoon. And then it, it always feels like of the three games, one or two of them are really crappy. You know, and they want one of them to be on national TV so everyone's watching. But if they could just split it up a little bit, man, it would make my homework later in the week so much easier. I would have a lot less to go back and watch after because there, there's so many games where I'm like, what the hell happened in that game? All I saw was the, the touchdowns on red zone that came in real quick, you know, and got to go back and watch and see what really happened. Well, and I think that's the exact reason why they wanted to expand out to Thursday mm-hmm. football and, you know, if it was up to them, they'd have it every freaking every, day. Yeah, week, Saturday, you know? there'd be it. They don't believe that there's an yep. overload, you no. know. And, of, of and the ratings show pretty, you know what I mean? Of, of all things, football rains. It really does. It does rain. Now, it's been, it's down relative to past comparable, mm-hmm. you know, September, week ones, et cetera, when you match it up. But I think sports overall are Everything down is. a little bit. I think there's Everything. a lot of different reasons for, for that, mm-hmm. ranging from, from politics to there's just, just a lot more pirating. channels and, and choices. Channels, and choices, or people Netflix that are stuff, you know, small people that are smart that just get around. That you know, many people are on on sites that are just that that are just cord cutters now and that don't get counted in a rating. Apparently, the NBA has has like formulated that there are as many people watching the NBA games illegally than are watching legally. <laughs> you know, like isn't that something? Which is, you know, it just kind of shows you how you can you can find you know ways to watch anything nowadays on- online and get around it. Um, and those things don't come into the rating. So yeah, it, it's funny because it sure doesn't feel like just from a being on social media or hear people talk about it or even buzz. It sure doesn't feel like there were less people watching or talking about the NFL this week. I mean, it really did feel like 
right back and going right back to week one and we we saw a lot of different things so i guess i mean what were some of the things before we start to even jump into week two and talk about some of our plays and we'll we'll talk about more what were some of the things that that were either surprising to you or that were noticeable or you know something that you took notes on oh man i don't even know where to start i've got a lot of thoughts uh let me just start with the uh, top the best of the best the kansas city chiefs super bowl winners I thought they were uh, really solid all the way around. Um, you know, obviously they have a, a future star in the making in their uh, rookie running back from LSU, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, but he actually didn't play a great game, if you could believe that. Now you could say, well, for a rookie, he was fantastic. But in goal line situations, he was really bad. You know, mm-hmm. six carries for minus two yards. You know, wasn't very disciplined with his footwork. It was funny um, that he didn't get any passing, which, which yeah. we all assumed he was going to get tons of yeah. passing work. So yeah. it was... Yeah, I think they'll they'll coach him up though. I mean, a lot of that's coaching. uh, Yeah, they'll figure him out a little. I think so. Um, But like you know, for me, I had Clyde in a couple different fantasy leagues, and everybody was really excited after the Thursday night game. Oh, look at good! And I, of course, am the one going. They're going to be there's going to be one league that I'm going to lose by five points in because he didn't get into the end zone in one of those two. He <laughs> had two, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's what, yeah. exactly what happened to a lot no, of from, look from a fantasy perspective. He's a star and he's going to be a star all week. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was talking more from a technical oh, and so regular football and, and, and that hurts, yeah, you, real and life that hurts you a little in, in, in fantasy too, just not getting into the end zone because that's True. yeah, the between the tackles isn't necessarily his game. So they'll. You know, Andy Reid is as good as anyone get using those weapons, but that's a great place to start, though. Because yeah, and I, look, I don't know. Sorry to interrupt you, but I don't. I don't know if I, I wouldn't have a five-eight back be my goal line back anyway. No, no, I agree. Right. No. Nope. So they they might be trying to get him to do something that just isn't a part of his game. We'll see. You know, if they who am I to question them? If they feel that they could do it, if Eric Bieniemy feels that he can, you know, find a way to make it happen. Um, successfully and and to not have six rushes for minus two yards. Hey man, the enemy has been putting together tremendous game plan after tremendous game plan. He finds a way to get one week Watkins involved. So you key in on Sammy Watkins. And then the next week, the cheetah goes off and then Kelsey and it just on and on and on. And now you got this running back. So started with the chiefs, uh, very impressive overall. And I think defensively they have continued their successful approach since uh, probably week nine of last year. So yeah. that that's kind of the starting point, but I kind of want to go to the bad now. Yeah. The well, New York how Giants. About, how about the yeah. New York Giants and Saquon? Uh, is it too early to say that his be- first year was his best year and it's going to be his best year and maybe his only great year? The only reason why I won't, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to say that yet is that Pittsburgh defense might be the best defense in the league. Um, so, so that's probably, it's probably a little unfair to give him that, to only use that as, as a, as give him a couple more games this year. I actually, that, that game was one of those ones where it, it looks worse than it was because the giants were actually playing pretty well early. They were moving the ball. Well, they couldn't run the ball at all, but, but, uh, Danny dimes was playing exactly like Danny dimes does. He looks great, great, great. They go on that incredibly long drive where they're, they're, Fourth, they're they got on the four yard line, about to go in, completely change the game. I think they would have tied the game there, or even had an opportunity to take the lead. And instead, he throws a pick, <laughs> like a oh, not and not just a pick, like a, the most horrible pick. Where there were five defensive jerseys around, you couldn't even see the receiver he was looking to. And then immediately, you like we all know what's going to happen right after that. 
Pittsburgh's going to get the ball and they're going to drive down the field and score. It's automatic. For as unpredictable as sports are, they're very, they're very predictable. Well, it's you just said it's, turnover. It's, this is kind of Danny Dimes' game, right? Mm-hmm. Bad turnover and then right back the other way. So, um, you know, there, but there, there are, you have to talk about them on the, uh, like amongst the bad. We saw the Browns, you know, also look really bad. The Jets also look really bad. How about the Lions blow a huge lead again? Same exact thing they did last year. So, so some teams who still have the same stripes that they've always had. But then how about maybe three teams or a couple teams that were supposed to be the worst teams in the league? We got a Jacksonville win right away. We got a win for the Washington football team that we were not expecting right away too. So those two teams were you know, projected to be as two of the worst teams in the league. Hey, they already got a W in the box. Minshew, a 95% completion rate, 142 quarterback rating. They were two for two in the red zone. They only had 241 total yards, only had 17 first downs compared to Indy's 27 first downs and 445 total yards. But Rivers, two very, very key INTs. They missed a field and they goal were two too. for five. Two rookie for five in the red zone. 30-yard field goal to Rodrigo. Two five in the red zone. You can't do that and win games, especially if you're going to have five penalties for 80 yards. Yeah, that was surprising. Um, you know, the... The Rams, I wouldn't say surprising, but they looked pretty solid in their opener. They looked a lot more like the Rams from a few years ago than the the Rams of last year. Their offensive line was a lot better. Their defense was not bad and not a sieve. And if you have a good coach like McVay, he was getting the ball out of Goff's hands quickly. He he's, he he seems like he's figuring out Goff and and how to best use him. So they, you know, as a Rams fan, I liked uh, I like seeing what they looked like week one, I thought that was good. I'm sure you were probably excited to see how the Raiders moved the ball. That was a really fun, exciting game that it just felt like one of those games where whoever had the ball last was probably going to win. And, and, you know, Carolina's driving and they run that fourth down play where they don't give CMC the ball. It's like fourth and inches at midfield. They don't even get him involved. They don't do a Teddy Bridgewater sneak. I was just like, what is going on with this play calling? But that Raiders game was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was high-powered. It was a lot of offense. You know, the, the Raiders ran the ball well. They passed the ball well. They had no turnovers. That mm-hmm. was the key right That's there. The difference no, in the game. no turnovers. One turnover, right. you lose. Instead, you win. And when you're on the road like that, it doesn't matter what it looks like or how you win. That's a game that a, a Raiders team probably loses most years. Yeah, if, no doubt. A little, that, that was just that was one mistake. typical Raider loss. You one know? mistake. You're just a little sloppy there. You make one mistake and you lose. But they didn't really make a lot of mistakes, and that's the difference between winning and losing. You know. Yeah. Speaking that's- of mistakes, Buccaneers, a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Three turnovers, 103 penalty yards. Pretty they were good in the red zone, three for yeah. three in the red zone, but it was the mistakes that did them in. Obviously, a big Brady mistake. Janoris Jenkins takes advantage, takes it all the way. Big mistake there. Um, the Saints, though. They need to run the ball better. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They weren't very impressive on the ground. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I've watched a lot of Saints games over the last uh, now three plus years, and they are good at blowing out teams that they should blow out. And then when and they have a pretty good record overall against good teams. But one thing has been lacking against the good teams is like that killer instinct to put them away. For some reason, they allow teams to kind of hang in there. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's kind of what's snakebitten them in the playoffs is you had a chance to put them away. You didn't put them away. The team still, you know, the opponents hang hangs in there, especially if they're playing in the dome. They're on the road. They're like, hey, we have nothing to lose. 
you know, we're, we're down by three and we should be down by 21. And before you know it, one play makes the difference and they're bounced out of the playoffs. So I want to see what that they've done in this year's in some years too, is that, you know, you lose one of those games early on in the year and then it ends up screwing you out of a better playoff seating or a buy or something like that because, sure. and that changes the whole dynamic of your season. You know, you're right there. It reminds me a lot of the Clippers, what we just saw with them. You know, it's just like you, you, they're always looking like they're the better team out there for most of the game. And when you lose, you almost wonder how they lose because the last four, three years, four years, maybe they every year have the most well-balanced roster on both sides of the ball, on all sides of the ball. Really, all, all three facets. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Their special teams is great. Their yep. offense is always really good. Their defense is always solid and makes big plays and, and like timely. You know, they're not, you can't be perfect at everything. So sometimes their defense might be, you know, one of their weaknesses here and there, but it's never like terrible or awful. And it always seems to get good towards, towards the playoffs. They just, I, I agree. It just feels like there was something a little bit off about that game, and I don't know if I agreed with Troy Aikman when he said he thought that was going to be, you know, what the conference, the N- the NFC Championship game was right there. Without, you know, we've seen Tampa play one game. Now, I think Tampa's got a lot. They're going to improve a ton. Think, you know, all of these. W- what we saw too, I think, with a lot of these teams were the teams like you know the Packers, who they didn't have any changes, none really. They were the same personnel as last year, and they looked really good. And that's probably what it's going to be like for the first few weeks. You know, they looked really good, and, and I looked really wrong on that because I didn't think that they did anything in offseason to help Rodgers out. I kind of b- bought into a little bit of that, hey, maybe they want to move on from Rodgers. And, and maybe at the you know? end of the year, you, you could be right. In, in eight weeks or ten weeks, if they don't have – if they haven't improved – and everybody else improves more and more with their new pieces and figures them out. And remember, this is a COVID season where there was no spring training, tra- not spring tra- training camps, or it was very short and it was completely different. All these new pieces, if the new quarterbacks, new receivers, they didn't get on. Rodgers didn't really have to deal with any of that. He had all the same that he was dealing with, that he dealt with last year. And to, I, I think Green Bay looked good, but I, I think it might have been as much of Minnesota looking bad because they were starting a lot of young pieces, especially in the secondary, and I think they might get picked on for a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think the key, there's two numbers that I'll throw out at you, and I think they make all the difference in the world. Green Bay ran 76 total plays. Minnesota, 49. That came out to a 41-minute time of possession for Green Bay to uh, 18 and change for Minnesota. It, it, it's more than double. 41 minutes to 18 minutes. And it you wasn't control even that the clock close. like that, you're, you're not going to lose the game. And the final score is probably much more close than how mm-hmm. much of a beatdown they laid on Minnesota. They had a turnover on downs, like where they were really, really, where they were, I think, on the 10 yard line or so, and they ended up turning it on down, where they could have gotten another score there at least. They they really kicked the crap, kicked the crap out of the out of the Vikings there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Would you think right. about the? Would you think about Cam and the Patriots? Well, um, look, we didn't have time last week to give out our weekly picks. So mm-hmm. we'll start that uh, it's week. with week two. Had I given out picks, it would have been the three teams that I spent time on talking about their improvement. So it would have been Miami, Arizona, and the Raiders. Those would have been the three picks I would have given out. So it would have gone fairly well, two out of three. But this one here was very disappointing in terms of Miami because their defense played really well. Um, I shouldn't say really well, fairly well. Okay, they still gave up 29 first downs, which is uh, more than I'd like to see. But the game came down to three INTs from Pitts. 
Yeah. And you know, th- those three INTs were the, di- I mean, more than the difference of the game. They don't turn over the ball three times and maybe only once. You know, that game could be an overtime game. It's or a closer a game than it looked. It really was. And sure. two of those three interceptions, and Romo even said it on one of them, two of them might have been pass interference calls that they, they did not could've. call on New sure. England. Sure. And, and so, I mean, if you call that penalty, it's it's not even like, well, he threw a bad a pick, but they were questionable and, and that changes the whole game. It really does. Miami actually in the first half had more yards per play than New England, and they were running the ball pretty well against mm-hmm. New England. And mm-hmm. so in New England definitely with with some of the opt-outs that they've had and you know, Cam just being new, they they're not some impervious, unbeatable team. They've got holes in the middle of their defense. Their secondary is still going to be really good and really tough. And their their line, their defensive line is still solid. But in the middle of their defense, I think you'll be able to attack them. And that's why I think this week is one of my plays we'll talk about in, in a little bit. I, I like Seattle. I think Seattle might be able to beat them up a little bit this week. And Russ might be able to sort of pick them apart. So that'll be one game I talk about. Because I, I liked what I saw from Seattle, Mike, in that everyone has been talking about the uh, let Russ cook. They were letting Russ cook this weekend because they're very normally Pete Carroll has been a really conservative type coach. Not something you think about when you think of Pete Carroll. You probably think of USC and all the scoring and they would run up and down. But he's a very conservative coach with Seattle. They're very run first. He doesn't go for fourth downs a whole lot. He doesn't throw on first and second. They're sort of predictable. If they sort of unleash Russ with his skills and his ability, he can use his feet. This team might have a ceiling that's higher than they've had the last few years if they're going to sort of change the way they play. That's my predicted division winner. I love Seattle. I think they are a very good team offensively. You know, we've always thought of Seattle as a defensive team, the Legion of Boom and stuff like that, but we're long gone from those days. It's a completely different ball club. You have a bunch of different pieces. It's not really even a defensive-minded team anymore. Their offense was near perfect. Four for four in the red zone, no turnovers. When you go four for four in the red zone and no turnovers, you're going to win a lot of games Didn't in Russ have pro like four, tackle football. Four touchdowns and four incompletions. And yeah, I think one of the incompletions was a throwaway. So you don't even count he, he that. He was near perfect. I mean, the, yeah. team, the offensive unit was near perfect. And when you do that, you're going to win a lot of games. That, that, that smells like 12 and four, 13 and three right there. If you keep doing the same thing, you know. So the, uh, the other game I wanted to quickly get to before we go to our commercial break is uh, Arizona and San Francisco. Because yep. Arizona, like Arizona really... You know, the score was was close, but they really laid the wood to them on the ground. I mean, that's what ha- helped them control this game. 180 rushing yards against a San Francisco defense. I mean, that's really crazy. Now 29 re- first downs to 18. That They had 78 total plays to 61. And they were perfect in the red zone also, whereas the Niners and Garoppolo had issues. One out of four conversions in the red zone. Not going to win games doing that. This is a huge week for Arizona. This is a big week for San Francisco, too, because this we see this with these the Super Bowl hangover teams all the time. You come into this year, you're a little bit banged up. You, you don't have the same energy and oomph to start the season. I mean, there was nobody really getting open for Jimmy G out there. He didn't look very good, but he's not going to make guys better unless they're helping him out and open. He needs the, the the marriage there, you know, someone to get open, he'll get them the ball. And Kittle was banged up. They were dominate they were dominating the defensively Kittle and how they their approach, which I thought was really, really nice. Now, Arizona cannot come and lay an egg this week. They cannot do that. If they want to prove themselves as a playoff type team, you win and you beat a good divisional opponent. You cannot come back this week and think you're, you know, you think you're, you, you hear all week about how good you are and hear all week about how good Kyler was. And then you lose to a Washington team that has a very good defense in front. They're, they're not going to be as easy 
right now to run on as San Francisco because that's probably Washington's strength. They may not be able to score points, but they're they're going to at least give Kyler a, a hit or two with that front line. Yeah, agreed. I mean, yeah, yeah. If, if, when you beat the conference champs, what what you really look for, you know, when you're when you're handicapping this situation is. You could get up for a really good team. We've seen bad teams get up for good teams and sometimes upset them or lose by last second field goal. But it's how you respond the week after when yep. you're dealing with a team that you're supposed to beat. Do you mm-hmm. take care of business? We're going to see a lot about this young team's maturity. And I think they have enough veterans on this so-called young team that they can uh, probably help them stay focused, especially with uh, Larry Fitzgerald. He seems to be like a field general, as much of a, a quarterback as he can be as a wide receiver. I'll point out something after the break that he did that was a very key in the ball game in terms of getting Kyler to, to speed up to get to the line of scrimmage. But, uh, Gino, let's take a commercial break, and afterwards we will talk with ex-New York Jets linebacker and all-pro Marvin Jones. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we have our guest for today on the line. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, we're talking about... Florida State Hall of Famer, former Jets All-Pro linebacker. Currently, he is a coach at both the collegiate, or excuse me, the professional indoor football league, as well as the high school level, I believe. We'll double check with him. He goes by the nickname Shade. This guy is a legendary Jets player. Anybody in New York that followed the Jets in the 90s and 2000s knows who this is. Marvin Jones, how are you? You're on with Mike and Gino. Oh, man, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Doing really well. 
And you know, in the uh, in my little intro there, I also uh, failed to mention that you're now doing some work for the NFL dr- Draft Bible. Maybe you could quickly tell us what you're doing for the undrafted free agents and the database and, and what you're doing for uh, those type of players. Well, basically, in a nutshell, I mean, I thought it was an imperative um, definitely for this year because a lot of some of the colleges from the smaller schools have, you know, canceled all their pro days and things like that this year. And, you know, that really hurt a lot of the smaller schools with the pro days canceled early this year. So we got to put together a, um, a database of undrafted free agents, which goes out to all NFL and CFL teams. And it basically just gives a lot of these guys uh, opportunities who would never get the exposure where we can directly send them to these teams. Uh, because I coach in pro indoor football, and I use that platform already as a way to help you know better players to give them opportunities and try to help them learn how to watch film and just make them better players so we, I can kind of prepare them for hopefully maybe getting a workout in the NFL or maybe the CFL. And I've, I've had some pretty good success at it, so it's just really just, you know, kind of transition to what I already do into this NFL draft Bible. Now, collegially, you know, you were on the, uh, you know, Butkus and Lombardi lists and, you're a uh, uh, Florida State Hall of Famer, and you were a first-round draft pick. I don't really see a lot of first-round draft picks taking that kind of care and concern for undrafted free agents. It typically doesn't happen. Was that because you had some maybe some teammates at the pro level that were undrafted that were just as good as you know second and third and fourth rounders that were around you, and you're like, hey, man, these guys deserve a shot because every team – that has some of these guys, they're going to find out that your draft status is meaningless once you strap on that helmet? Well, that's that's part of it. <laughs> I, I would say I've had that experience. I had a brother that was played at Florida State, started many years there, was a pretty dang good player. You know, came out in uh, the 87 draft, but 87 draft for linebackers, I mean, you had Bosworth, you had a whole ton of other linebackers. So he was a undrafted uh, free agent. So I saw how I saw his work ethic um, throughout his whole college career because I worked out with him and all his effort he put into it. And I also had a nephew that uh, came out year before last, and uh, you know had a couple opportunities with uh, with Detroit. He was signed by the Jets as an undrafted free agent, and then he went over to um, the Lions. You know, had opportunity to play a couple preseason games. But, you know, he had his master's degree already. So, you know, if it didn't work out for him, he went on and moved on. And, you know, now he's, you know, doing what he wants to do and making a, a dang good living uh, doing it. You know, so, yeah, it, it's a different spin for me because, yeah, I wasn't in that position as a, as a, a first-round draft choice. But I do know what guys need to do to to put into this and the effort they need to have and the, the, all the things they need to do to at least have a chance. Not saying they'll get signed, but I'm, I'm going to tell you everything you need to do to put yourself in a position to at least have a chance. And that's what most of these guys ask for. Some of these guys made some stupid decisions early on or did some things maybe they shouldn't have done, but they you know, may have learned from those and they're ready to try to move on and have a career. So that's where I come in at because I'm brutally, brutally, brutally honest with them about everything is going to take to get there. Okay, I got to got to ask you a question now about the about the Jets. So, <laughs> um, what, what about what do, them? <laughs> what do we Yeah, I was gonna say, so now it's been a few years. We've got Gase, we've got Darnold. 
are these the guys to lead the Jets? Because we know if you don't have the right personnel and in the major key positions right at the top with coach, with quarterback, you're going to be in some trouble. So where do you stand just with these two as far as head coach, quarterback? Are these guys you can see being guys that can lead the Jets to a Super Bowl, to the playoffs, to conference championships? Mm. Or do you think they need to kind of scrap it? Is it, hey, I'm already looking to next year and maybe Lawrence is going to be the guy for them? Well, I can tell you this. Um, in all my years of playing in the NFL, it's it's a, it's it's a, it's a very complex situation because many times you got to have the right people in the right place at the right time, and and it, it, it transitions so much now because of the free agency. So you figure if a team, you know, if you don't kind of do it in that three to four years, you're pretty much going to have a, a a whole kind of a turnover on the team as far as players. And I think that the Jets have just, you know, they're in a position now where they just, they need a lot in a lot of different ways, especially offensively, I mean, uh, across the board. And, you know, I, I look at last week's game. I mean, they're playing Buffalo, which is arguably, you know, a top five defense in the NFL. And, you know, offense, you know, if, if Josh Allen can get his stuff going, you know, and, and, and play safe and not turn the ball over, you're looking at a hell of a team. But then, you know, they had they had some things they can build off. I love the way, you know, Bell plays and using him as a wide receiver in those positions. He's deadly in those positions, but now he's you know, he's out. So so it's like you, you, they haven't had the continuity. Look at last year. Well, guess what? The quarterback was gone because he had the the mono. So they when it, they've never had that solid, you know, season off season to where everybody was there. Um, you know, as one this year, no preseason. <laughs> so, you know, and when you got younger players, you got to build something. And for, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like they've all been together to be able to stay on that same page as guys that have been successful, your Tom Brady's and guys like that who, who, who have that consistency. I mean, we lose one of our best guys, Robbie Anderson, um, and just like now, now, now Crowder's a little banged up. So, you know, it, it, it's all, it seems like it's always something. Now, if these guys have been together three or four years and built on that and now guys start dropping down, well, that that's different. But they've never been as one to kind of build on mm-hmm. anything. And, you know, going into the third year with, you know, with Donald, I mean, this is where, you know, you got to be, you know, you got to really make that jump. You know he's had. I mean, he, you know he's had those those two years. And, and looking at last season, had the second half of last season, he comes back, and you know the Jets go six and two the second half of the season. So when you come back into this season, people are expecting, okay, we left off at six and two. You built on something good, and all of a sudden we're back to where it looks like, you know, we look like the first half of the last season again. So, you know, um, you know, and and. I mean, it's just difficult to put your finger on. You know, it's just too many moving parts right now and not enough solidity. Let me ask you this then, uh, to piggyback off of Gino's uh, questions and comments regarding the quarterback. You had ex- the experience of playing with a bunch of different quarterbacks, uh, whether the be because of injury or whatnot. <laughs> Boomer Esiason, uh, Neil O'Donnell, Frank Reich. Uh, Vinny Testaverde, Ray Lucas, Chad Pennington. Who am I missing? Because that's like a pretty lengthy list of Glenn names Foley. that people should be aware aware of. What's that? Glenn Foley. Uh-huh. Good. There you go. <laughs> Remember Glenn Foley? We're from DC. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. Yeah, so, so what does it do for a team when you have a change at quarterback every other year? Especially on the defensive side. Are you, are you like, what's going on on the other side of the ball? Or or do you just kind of stick to, to to the defensive unit? Well, I mean, in the NFL, obviously it's a business. And, you know, it depends on what kind of lead you got on the other side of the ball. If you have a leader, a defensive leader and an offensive leader, then you kind of have that mutual understanding that, hey, you know what, I worry about what's going on this side of the ball. You know, if, 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 if you know, I can remember years of having guys like Chad Pennington and um, – and uh, uh, Benny Testaverde, when you play with guys like them, they're going to handle that offensive side of the ball. And so you kind of know, like, you know, you just you do what you can do on defensively. And, you know, it gets to the point where you have to tell yourself, you know what, defense, we got to go out and score. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, but you, you kind of learn that kind of lesson to kind of, you know, I don't see, uh, and like I said, besides, you know, on that team, if you look at the two different personalities, you look at a guy like Greg Williams who, who brings that excitement defensively. And uh, I think the defense has some, you know, has some has some good plays in the game. You know, and they didn't play all that bad, uh, I would say, overall. You know, it's a pass rushing. But, but you look at the offense, it's like a totally different personality than the defense. And, you know, a lot of times that, that can kind of, kind of cause a little bit of a disruption because, you know, then the defense is like, come on, guys, you got to go pick it up. You got to go pick it up. And then, you know, that, that kind of leads to other things, you know. But it's going to be difficult to see how they're going to take a jump in the second week when you, you you lost, you know, one of your best players on the team, you know, in this game. So, you know, they, they, got, they got their hands full. But, you know, I, I think one of the things is this is what's truly going to show what kind of coach you got. You know, how how you gonna try to hold that thing together and try to you still gotta get through pro you still gotta make progress. And I think, you know, you know, this is where Adam Gase is, you know, he's gonna have to step up and and, and, and run the team and hold it together just like he had to do for the second half of last season. Gino, if you don't mind, I have a, one more quarterback question, then we could move off this position. But I've made it a point that anytime we have a former defensive player come on to the show, I have to ask this question, especially for somebody like yourself in the AFC East. You got to face uh, Marino and, and Jim Kelly, mm-hmm. Hall of Famers, really good quarterbacks. So here's the question. I hear some people say if, like Marino, for example, who set all sorts of passing records during his playing days, if he had played today with the rules that are in place today, the guy would be throwing 75 touchdown passes per year. Then I hear other people say, well, the quarterbacks right now are athletic and dynamic. How do you, who who which era had the better quarterbacks? Because I'm going to assume that if those guys played today, they would also get the benefit of today's medicine, today's training, today's techniques, so on and so forth. So, where do you stand on that issue? Well, from my honest opinion, I believe that quarterbacks that played when, during those older days, Marino to Kelly, so I, I think they. I look at them as the better quarterbacks because they didn't have all of these, you know, you can't grab a quarterback, go low rules, and, and they couldn't be hit. These guys were, were hit, so, and, and they had to go through that. Now they had to bounce back. And, and a lot of these quarterbacks today, when, I, when they start getting hit, they, it changes their whole game. And you can see it. That's, it's not a secret. And it's not to say that Marino and those guys, or Jim Kelly wasn't those guys that, didn't go through that, but I can remember games when Marino and guys, hell, they went a two-minute drill and they were limping. 
you know, still running the offense and, and everything. But I think it's just more the mental, you know, the mental toughness of the game. Um, if you, you know, it, it, the big differences between those two conferences in those days is that hey, if you're in the AFC, it was, it was known as you know the passing conference. You know, a, you know, NFC was the, the you know the black and blue, black and uh, blue conference. You know, for running the ball. Um, if you're in the AFC West, I mean the AFC East. I mean, you had to have some pass rushes. <laughs> I mean, you had the best wide receivers, and to me, you had the best quarterbacks. But I think if those guys played today, I mean, they would they would eat the league up being a pure passer, pure passer they were because Marino and those guys put that ball in on a dime. They didn't have to have those type of. A lot of these receivers now make a lot of these quarterbacks look good because they can, you know, they they're so athletic they can go up and make a lot of these catches. But back then, Marino. It wasn't afraid to throw a ball in a double coverage. That's they live for that kind of stuff, making those type of throws, and in the accuracy, deep ball guys, they they all those guys could throw the ball all over the field. You know, some of these quarterbacks now they have to be managed. I mean, Bray's not he's not, he's not I mean, he has to throw the long ball because he has to, but that's not his game. I mean, these quarterbacks on any play they could drop back and play action and throw the ball all over the field. So you had to have all your bases covered playing against those type of guys. Yeah, no, that's that's a great analysis right there. From yeah, I mean, you, you face some of the best in history, so uh, your your take on it is uh, is very a unique perspective, and I love hearing it. I mean, I can I, I love the history of the game. I consider myself a historian, so I could gobble this up all day and all night long. Unfortunately, we don't have very much time left here, but I did want to get your take on uh, on the Florida State Seminoles. You know what? Give us kind of a, a snapshot on the strange season and and what's going on and 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 what you think of the new sort of new coach and so on and so forth. Well, I, I think highly of Mike uh, Mike Norville. I think he's you know as, as a coach he come in and he set some rules down. I think that's very important things when you when you go into a, a school that has been through what we've been through. Is you come in, you lay your foundation down. This is how we're going to do it. This is how you know. I want things done, and you stick to your guns. Um, and I think that has also led to some of the guys, you know, uh, put, putting themselves in the transfer port, which is everywhere, but I think more so with us. I mean, you look at a school that's been 18 and 20 in the last three years, so a lot of these guys haven't had a winning season. They don't even know how to win. And I think with Mike, you know, coming, what he did at Memphis was, was, was pretty dang good. I mean, he, he he had some winning season. Now they had some dang good athletes, and some of those guys are still there. So he, you know, he has a good ability to recruit. You know, our issue is at Florida State is just we just haven't been able to get the quarterbacks in some of these past cycles. I mean, the offensive line has been decimated because um, that position wasn't recruited. And we gotta understand, college is not like NFL. You just can't replace players, and that's what makes it difficult. Um, because when you're going through those down spurs, down spurs, other schools are, are gaining. I mean, everybody's going to Alabama. Other guys are going to some of your other better schools, your better athletes. Because when you're in that position, they all everybody wants to go to the winning school. But you know, I, I think you know Mike Norville is going to you know get things running in that right direction. Does that mean we're going to win uh, you know a national championship? It may not be, but to get the program back to respectability is when now all of a sudden people want to come play and want to come back to the program and, and, and be a part of it. Um, nobody wants to go through the losing part of it. 
you know. But I wish, you know, a lot of the kids these days would stay. If they're, if they're a starter or, or somebody that can help the program, I, I wish they would stay because there's nothing like being a part of a program that was down and you were able to turn it around to be a part of that progress. So, you know, but it's a totally different mentality of kids today. It's not like <laughs> years and years ago, you know. Um, but I, I think Florida State, for what they're doing and everything at the point we're at, we're just looking for progress. We just didn't like the way we lost in the past. I think yeah. if we can improve every week, get better every week. Like I said, I don't think it was so much even coming off of Tagger. I don't think Tagger was a, a horrible coach. It was just the way we lost. I mean, every game we lost was just, uh, uh, you know, just ways that people just couldn't stomach. And, you know, we lost the Georgia Tech a game we should have won. I mean, there's a lot of good things that happened in the game. Special teams emerged. I mean, some players that, you know, otherwise in the past that didn't play had some great games. So, but this week, you know, playing against Miami, which is obviously a big week and, you know, hate week for us. You know, guys have to step, to the, step up to the challenge. Does it mean we're going to beat, beat Miami? No. Maybe, maybe we won't. Who knows? But if we go out there and make it a game, then to me that's progress, and eventually you're going to get there. Like I said, these kids in the last three years have been 18 and 20. So they have no clue what winning is <laughs> or having a winning season. That's, and that's so they uh, have almost to learn unheard. how to win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's unheard yeah. of. If you're in your 40s, then you grew up with, you know, Miami, Florida State, and Florida were today's LSU, Alabama, and Clemson. So it was, the, those were the places that you wanted to be as a superstar looking to get to the NFL. Those were the places that were churning out player after player and first rounder after first rounder and even NFL head coaches and, you know, uh, Heisman trophies and everything. So I long for the glory days of those Florida schools and Florida State's right at the top of the list. Obviously, they had stability with their head coach forever. And uh, I'm sure we could probably do two or three segments on uh, Bowden himself. But we're out of time. Quickly, if you could let our listeners know how they can follow you, Marvin. Well, they can follow me on Twitter at Marvin Jones Jets, on Instagram, Marvin Jones Jets. And um, I'm always on there. So if there's any players, anybody needs some help, they can just they can find me. But I mean, a lot of guys follow me on Twitter. So, again, that's Marvin Jones Jets. And they can get info, DM me if any guys are interested in the services. And we'll go from there. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been great. And anytime in the future, I'll be available. Awesome, Marvin. Really appreciate it, my man. Be good. Be safe. And, uh, yeah, I'll hit you up on a personal level just about an offensive lineman. I know you guys could always use one of those. So uh, thanks again, man. And we will take our final time out and come back with Gino and I's week two selections. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. 
Racers and rental cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel woods and water take center stage this week on the revolution with jim and trav as we discuss wildlife management pursuing the american dream of land ownership chasing the september bass panfish and catfish bite plus much more you'll hear from dan perez of whitetail properties thomas allen from in fisherman and the whiskered catfish bandit cat daddy the revolution is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So things we're not even going to be able to really talk a whole lot about. The U.S. Open's going on right now. You know, like just, just another big thing to deal with. Oh, yeah, it's game two of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. We had an incredible ending to game one between the Heat and the Celtics where Bam Adebayo had a block that won the game. He just stuffed it. One of the greatest blocks you'll ever see. Um, the Dodgers were the first team to clinch a playoff spot. Which is absurd, and it's crazy to think that we're only two weeks away from the the baseball playoffs. But I want to spend a minute or two on this next topic, Mike, before we get into the NFL and we get our picks. Did you see the Clipper Game 7 against the Nuggets? I don't know. I haven't had time to... Yes, I did see it, and I don't know uh, where I stack it up in terms of all-time letdowns. Um, I thought Doc Rivers answered a question very appropriately when he was asked, you know, the typical stuff about pressure and that type of stuff. And, you know, to paraphrase, I mean, he pretty much says, you know, that there was mission unfulfilled. I mean, they were, they didn't do what they were expected to do. No, it was. So I don't know where it ranks in terms of all time letdowns, if there's a category for letdowns, but this was a big letdown. Yeah. And, And maybe it won't be remembered all time because it was only the second round too. Right, it wasn't even like it was the conference finals. But or it's the, the whole history it's of their the last history. ten years. Yeah, and, and right. it's the it's the Clippers it, with fifty years of never getting there. Yeah, but and I'm then, not even talking about Danny Manning and all those guys back in the day. I'm talking just in this Doc, Doc Rivers. Uh, era. How about in the um, Vinny Del Negro, Doc Rivers era? How sure. about that? The, the, because Doc took over from Vinny because he was supposed to do what Vinny couldn't do. It's a lot like Mark Jackson and yep. Steve Kerr, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I d- thought Mark Jackson didn't get a fair shake. And we talked about that a little bit last week, but, um, you know, it was supposed to be, okay, this is the guy that's going to take us over to the, and I love doc rivers. And I thought he did a phenomenal job with the Celtics. And I think he's doing a phenomenal job with the Clippers year in, year out, making them one of the top teams. And it's always impressive to me when you could do it with a variety of different players. There's something to be said for that, whether it be like the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul's, or today's cast, right? And to be able to still win with whichever assembled team you've got, that's that's talent. But 
big, big letdown because yeah. there's multiple times now in the last few years where they should have sealed the deal yep. up three out of the first four. You got to get it done. And I think the, the bigger letdown is we all wanted to see L.A. versus Lakers, L.A. Lakers Clippers. And, and, and we year for this. Yeah, and the year that they got knocked out by the Rockets, you wanted to see the three-point shooting, you know, uh, Warriors going up against the muscle of the the Clippers. So for the fans, I think the letdown isn't necessarily because everybody loves the Clippers. I think it's because of what we wanted and expected to see, and we didn't get it. I can't remember a situation where, like, I've so we see it in baseball when guys get the yips. We see it in the baseball playoffs. I mean, I've seen it with Bellinger and Seager where. In a series, whether it's a five-game series or a seven-game series, you find someone's weakness and you just attack them, right? And you make you make grown professional players look silly. And oh yeah, I can't recall ever seeing a quarter like that fourth quarter for the Clippers where they Brutal. didn't score a point for six minutes of Brutal. the fourth for more than half of the fourth quarter in the biggest quarter of your season with everything on the line with a team that's supposed to have been a bunch of veteran guys, a coach who's been there, a, an MVP of the, the finals who's been there multiple times. Paul George threw a ball with four minutes left in the game off the side of the backboard. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team actually like lose it on the court as much as they did three consecutive games. And there, and it's funny because a lot, and we'll get in, we got to get our, our NFL picks in soon. So we'll, we'll get in just a minute, but there's a, a lot of people inside the NBA. Brian Windhorst was talking about it on a podcast immediately following the game that everybody at the beginning of the year w- was really rooting for this Clippers team because it's like, Oh, just like you said, Oh, this team that's never been there before. And now they're like the favorite, but they're still, they, you know, but nobody likes the Lakers and LeBron. So everyone's going to want to root against LeBron and the Lakers. And Kawhi is this really easy star to root for. He just doesn't say anything. He's, he, he works hard, but then throughout the year, you got Pat Beverly who chirps and he talks trash about Luca and he talks trash about Jokic. He talks trash about everybody. You got Paul George who after the game, he's t- Taking shots at James Harden for some reason. Like, what? What the hell does Harden have to do with Paul George? You got Montrez, who was like, you know, you know, came after Luca and made, you know, the kind of sort of racial comments. He apologized after that was fine. You got Marcus Morris, who gets thrown out of all these games. And Brian Windhorst was saying that this group was really not liked the way they carried themselves. They acted like they've won a bunch of titles. They thought they could just flip a switch and be better than everyone. And they didn't put the work in, you know? So, um, yeah, just a, a huge shock. And now it's going to be Lakers Nuggets starting uh, on Friday. We'll talk much more about the NBA next week, but we got to get into our week two picks, Mike. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we uh, actually in that first segment, Gino, we, co- uh, we covered every single game um, outside of the Monday night games, like accidentally, ex- not even trying to. Yeah, yeah, we hit <laughs> on every single game outside of the Monday night games, except for the boring bowl, the Chargers and the Bengals. Yeah, who out of twenty nine points in that game was sixteen to thirteen, right? Totals up to twenty nine. Seventeen of those points were either extra points or field goals made. So I mean, it was just the most boring game ever, and I I, I thought it was so boring that it was worth mentioning how boring that is. But that brings us to tonight's game, which is not a game that we're going to be picking unless you've got some nope, thoughts. I don't, I don't got with Cincinnati now. against the Browns. Yeah. And I just did want to mention, you know, because you talked about how poorly coached the Browns were last year. And Freddie Kitchens was an absolute disaster. And I agree with you. I think they showed once again why I just can't back them. 
Yeah, I got to wait. Disappointing. I got to wait. Very I think disappointing. I, they, I was expecting more. I, I thought they would be able to cover that game. But I, it, again, I, it's hard because Baltimore is so damn good. Like they just look really good. They're better defensively and they're tough. But I just but Baker is the one that I've been so disappointed in. He, yes. he just has to be better. Let me give He's you not my vision. No, he four point eight yards per completion. Where, where did the, the pinpoint accuracy go? He used to be incredible. I, he was an incredible passer in college. It's not like this is who he's been forever. He used to be able to hit anything, any target. I have three plays this week. Colts minus the three. I think they're going to bounce back, and I just don't think the Vikings are good at all. Colts come home, they're going to win uh, minus three. I like that. Eagles plus the one. They're coming home. I think they're going to get a little offensive line help back with Johnson getting healthy. And the Rams, it's not going to be an easy spot for the Rams after a big week one. And then Seahawks minus the four. I just think they're better. I think they're one of the best teams in the league. I was really impressed. And I think that Miami was maybe a little closer in that New England game than it looked on paper. Colts minus three, Eagles plus one, Seahawks minus four. Interesting. Okay. Uh, For me, you know, I I find that some of the lines this week – clearly factor in some of the overreaction mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. type. Yep. So uh, I think Green Bay probably looked a lot better, in my opinion, than than they are. And I thought that the Lions should have won that game. They did a really good job. So the Lions are going to be my first pick. Looks like they're getting six and a half points. Yep. That's in Green Bay, but it's not the cold weather yet. No fans. I don't know how Lambeau is going to be is that scary uh, during this time of year with no fans in there. So the Lions are going to be my first pick. I'm going to take the Dolphins. I'm going to take them this week. I think that six points for the Bills is very high did. on the I road. Uh, and, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of points for a team that, you know, beat up on the Jets. And they don't score a lot. The Bills, no. they don't score a lot. That's a lot of points on the road. I'm with it, you. If that got to seven, low. I would jump on the same side with you. And it, and it might. It could by Sunday. And, uh, well, I think that they, they could win straight up. So I think that mm-hmm. one is uh, one of those where you maybe consider the money line. And then the last one is uh, the Panthers. The Panthers are getting nine points against the Buccaneers. And the reason I'm going to take that nine points, which is a sizable cushion, is because the Panthers showed me something that I didn't know what to expect, which is how would Bridgewater fit into this offense? And it looked like he fit into the offense. It looked like they were able to put up points. They were able to move the chains. So offensively, they look good. And if you could kind of go back and forth with the team, like you mentioned with the Raiders, then you're going to be in any ball game, and so nine points is just a lot for that. We two NFL coming up, and there's so much going on. This is what we love, and we are glad that fingers crossed, and, and that looks like people are all doing a little bit better health wise. We haven't seen any crazy hiccups in the big sports yet. Maybe a few here and there in college. We'll keep our fingers crossed, but that's the key. That's what we want. We want to, to get some of this normalcy back. And hey, week two of the NFL, we are we're feeling like we're back in the swing of things. Yeah, and a health thing, except for my, my fantasy team, where I've got uh, <laughs> Michael Thomas and Portland Sutton and, and George uh, uh, Kittle. Brutal. Oh, man, brutal. Anyways, that's all the time that we have for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you to Marvin Jones for being a part of today's show. Gino, you rocked it. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.